You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole. I'm so excited to be here tonight. I've assembled a motley crew of book nerds to help me talk about some great Star Wars material here as we dive into a completely new era of the Star Wars galaxy uh, as the literature is giving us the High Republic. And uh, I have a special Jedi Council uh, yeah, just assembled here for your listening pleasure and back with us. It's been not too long, but Bruce, it's so good to have you back to talk about some Star Wars as uh, you were previously here just to talk about The Mandalorian Season 2. That is correct, yes. And then after The Mandalorian, I'm like, well, what's next? And here we are. Yes. Well, we just tried to, to, to make you happy by keeping you on. Uh, so I'm glad you're back and really excited to have a good friend of the show and good personal friend of myself, uh, William Devereaux, uh, back to here and, and, you know, a book aficionado for Star Wars, uh, you know, over on Ioncast. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. It is fun to, uh, fun to be back on the show yeah it's great talking light of the jedi a new era for star that's wars right that's right and I, excuse me i i i misrepresented yourself uh there i apologize ion canon podcast uh, excuse yes. me yes. i do i don't even know what i was thinking i was just so excited to have you on i got a little flustered whoo Ooh, is it hot in here? Oh, <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, we're excited to be here to, to dive into this brand new era of Star Wars. But uh, before we do that, of course, you know, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please do follow us on Twitter at the 602 Club, as well as Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. You can also find us uh, all over the place, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe so you get the... Um, podcast as soon as it drops uh, if you're on apple podcast please give us a star rating and review uh you can also find us on trek.fm our website you can also find us on facebook at facebook.com slash trek fm there's the listeners only discussion group called the babel conference you can be a part of and talk to listeners from all around the world uh and then you can go to trek.fm slash contact and send us an email so uh and christy and i love getting emails and she'll be back next week as we're diving into uh something really exciting i'm, I'm actually Really, uh, just looking forward to uh, what we're going to be getting into next week, which is the fifth element. But um, before we get there, uh, I also want to say a huge thank you to the associate producers we have here through Patreon. Uh, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah. I really appreciate them supporting the show uh, each and every week here through Patreon. And, you know, as we uh, have been hard hit, just as everybody has in the past year, um, we could definitely use your help. Go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of the team. Make sure all of the shows keep coming to you. Chris and I are working hard to even revamp uh, a lot of those uh bonus and extras that you can get as well so that'll be coming to you this year um, but again we need your help to make sure the network keeps coming to you so go to patreon.com slash trek fm well gentlemen 
So this is a whole new era of Star Wars. Um, this is 200 years before The Phantom Menace takes place. And this book uh, and, and the, and the era itself, it starts out with a disaster. And uh, this disaster, we learn, uh, is uh, been put together uh, by a nefarious gentleman leader of the Nile, I think is how you say it. Uh, if anybody's read the uh, audiobook here, well, please correct me, uh, but I think it's the Nile. Um, and um, I think you would say his name Markion Rowe as well, uh, and he's their leader uh, for all intents and purposes. And, and basically, he set this whole thing up to galvanize the Nile into a much more coherent group uh, so that they can go galaxy-wide. They've pretty much been... In the outer rim. So we have this disaster. How do you guys think that this works as kind of like kicking off this entire era here of a place in Star Wars we'd never been? Well, that's just what I think it feels like as a kickoff to an entire era. Um, because, you know, when it starts off, it focuses on this disaster for at least a third of the book. I mean, it's a good chunk of it when you first start off it's about this disaster so as i'm reading this i'm thinking okay where what are we building to where are we trying to get to who are our central characters in this but what we're getting is what's going on with this world what's going on on other ships space stations what's going on with all these other jedi and everybody taking you know dealing with this entire situation and i thought okay this is going to lead to something so I kept wondering, who am I supposed to focus on? Who's the protagonist of this book? But I also, when at this point during the disaster, thought, well, this is the setup. So once I came to realize, okay, this is the setup for a bigger story to be told over multiple books, I came to accept it more. It's it's really interesting because, like, you know, in the, in the run up to the, the the this era launching, we knew that Light of the Jedi would would kick off the era, and we knew that there was this. The, the the nil the they're and they're very I don't know if it's nil or nile I don't know and they're they're uh, probably now and they're they're very um they're, they're very brutal right I, I I think I remember even reading in one or listening in one interview like almost like cannibalistic in in some ways uh, and so this is kind of what I went into the 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 book expecting and I knew I, I remember reading uh, somewhere before the book came out that it would have a um, you know, a large portion of the book would be devoted to this disaster. And I thought it would actually be a, a huge galaxy changing disaster or, or, you know, fairly large at least. So I guess I was surprised when I read the book, how different the novel was from my perception going in. It's completely different. You know, I thought it was going to be this massive, massive disaster that changes things. And for the most part, the disaster is pretty much wrapped up in the book and it's kind of it's kind of over it doesn't really like there's some interesting questions around um the, the the ramifications of of what they discover as a result of the disaster but the disaster itself is pretty much wrapped up there's not a lot of the galaxy doesn't really seem that changed aside from the uh the the the, the now being um i guess more trying to be more aggressive from from then on um so i was kind of surprised by that and i was also surprised by uh you know, yes, the book, the disaster did take up a large portion of the book. And it, in some ways, it was almost kind of slow going. I kind of liked how you got a flavor for a bunch of different Jedi. But really, the people you meet in that first third, some of them play a role and some of them just kind of fizzle out and are, are not really all that important anymore. Um, 
and the Nile. We'll talk about the Nile more later, but they were completely different than what I was expecting going in. So, um, I guess my expectations were, uh, were, were, I was, I was very surprised by where the book ended up going. Yeah, it's interesting uh, what both of you are saying because I I didn't really know what to expect too much. I, I didn't really read too much about this. Um, you know, I, I tried to kind of stay away from any of the spoilers other than this, you know, kind of the overarching things that, that I'd heard. Um, but I tried to stay away from any nitty gritty or anything like that because I just wanted to kind of go into the, the book. The kind of, in much the same way I would go in with like, you know, watching The Mandalorian or playing one of the video games like KOTOR, you know, uh, Jedi Fallen Order kind of thing where you're, you're going to experience the story uh, as you as you play it or read it and so uh, or watch it. And, you know, I, it was interesting, William, because one of the things that was just really stood out to me with this disaster was the immediate impact that it had on the Republic which kind of became, uh, in many ways, like a COVID parable, um, you know, as they had to shut down um, the hyperspace lanes uh, because of this disaster. I mean, this is a hyperspace disaster. We, we didn't talk about that yet, but the idea is um, there is a ship that was traveling through hyperspace, and one of the Nile ships uh, causes disruption uh, because they have a completely different version of how hyperspace works for them. They use these things called the paths that allow them to do things that normal hyperspace does not. And so they disrupt a ship uh, traveling through hyperspace. That ship breaks apart and then reemerges into different areas of the galaxy, um, and they call them the emergences. And, uh, and these emergences are, are, you know, hitting planets, you know, and uh, space stations and all sorts of things causing havoc. Um, and, of course, also they have people still alive on them as well. So, I mean, there's all of this stuff that's happening here at the beginning, but, but the immediate impact of this, like you said, William, is um, something that is felt in the book, but then is quickly resolved and it's gone. Like, you know, um, so it seemed to me like, yes, this seems to last for a while. Um, and, you know, you get planets complaining about, you know, hyperspace lanes being closed and having, um, you know, uh, food shortages and everything, which again, you know, I, we, we've experienced this throughout 2020 and now into 2021. So we're, we're very familiar with this, but, I was also surprised to see that it wraps up quite quickly um, and that, you know, hyperspace is kind of back to normal by the end of the book. And it, and it feels like, you know, um, if I remember correctly, the Starlight Beacon was supposed to go online within a few months. So this story really only takes place over a couple months. So it's not as though this disaster lasts like an entire year or two years or something in the galaxy. Um, so I was actually a little disappointed that this isn't something that we really spend a lot of time with um, and doesn't give us the opportunity to um, really experience what this might be like if, you know, because they even talk about this, if hyperspace doesn't work, the Republic is dead. Yeah. And I, part of me wonders if, you know, I do feel like they're, they're, they're laying a the lot of seeds. Like I think the Starlight Beacon, I suspect, will play more of a role in future books. Um, the uh, a lot of the characters we meet, especially the ones in the very beginning, where a lot of just very brief scenes with a whole bunch of different characters, they'll probably play a role in in future books. Um, so I think there's going to be small bits that cross over, but for the most part, 
um, you really don't have to read Light of the Jedi to enjoy the High Republic era. Like you, it can be summarized very briefly, mm-hmm. and mm. and you're you're done. Um, you know, I, I thought the disaster. Uh, it's, I, I mean, I, I I enjoyed reading it, but it did start to like kind of drag a little bit, and and I felt like the book really started once you get into the second, the second part. Um, the the physics of the disasters are super fascinating. Like they've discovered really a way to travel across hyperspace. You know, typically like you you start and end it's just like a, a single point to jump, and they discovered that the the Nile uh, discovered these specifically Marchian Row and, and, and the Santecas have discovered these paths. And well, not just these Santecas, can... but one Santeca, which, yeah. Yes, so... specifically. Yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that. But, um, you know, it has discovered these things called paths, and these allow you to kind of traverse hyperspace and, and somehow collide with other ships that shouldn't be physically possible uh, or or take very short jumps uh, or or like make turns in hyperspace really fascinating and part of me wonders uh, reading through this okay well they discovered this 200 years before the the films what happened to this knowledge you know what 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 happened they don't really answer that in the book how do the paths get obscure how, how did nobody use them in the future i mean we've seen shorter hyperspace jumps later on but nothing to this uh, to to this level, and I, I I hope that this era that they resolve this or, or kind of answer why aren't these paths being used in future um, in 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 the films later on because it's pretty pretty massive uh, technology and galaxy changing. I just assume when I read the book that the knowledge of the paths will die off because the knowledge of it will be limited to just certain people and not shared with others. And we're seeing that with Santeca where she has the knowledge, but that's not being shared nor is with anybody else except for Roe. And then it's not that information of where that the path information is coming from her isn't being shared with others. So no one really knows where this information is coming from. So if these characters were to die off somewhere in these stories, then the paths would be something that the future would not be aware of or know how to utilize or know how to find the paths. And maybe in the future, there's people who are always trying to, but can never accomplish it. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, like being able to use the paths is, is, is obviously might, might die with, you know, Mari Santeca, but the knowledge that this technology or this capability exists, that's out there now in the galaxy because, you know, they've already, they've discovered that this, this can be done. The Republic now knows it's at least theoretically possible. Like there's no other answer for it. And they, they talk multiple times about how it shouldn't be possible, but clearly it is the other Santecas. Um, uh, they, they knew uh, they, they, they kind of like alluded to, to the, they, they definitely knew Mari was somehow involved clearly. Uh, but she's like, she's been a lot. She's been lost to the family. Right. They know she's somehow involved. Um, they, it doesn't sound like they know how to do it themselves, but well, it, yeah, they know it's possible. So, I, I think you're both raising some really interesting questions, and and, and this is the thing that I one of the things that I think maybe is a detriment to the whole storyline so far, which is one that this is even possible because this feels 
so much more like sci-fi than science fantasy, which is what Star Wars really is. Star Wars is not science fiction. Uh, and this is getting a little bit too science fiction-y in some ways, it feels like. But in some ways, too, if Mari Santeca can do this, there should be somebody else in the galaxy who can do this, too. And there has to be some explanation of how she can do it as well. And it ha- to me, it feels like it has to be some kind of force thing. You know, in many ways, this almost felt like skywalking, um, which we know from the uh, Thrawn books. Yeah. Uh, and so, but there's there's got to be a reason for why she's has this capability. Um, but at the same time, it it really felt like the fact that you know, and this is a detriment to the Nile themselves, is that. If Mari's the only one who can do these paths, it makes the the Nile feel really weak, regardless of how many paths that they have stored up that they can use. Um, it still feels like a handicap from the start that that their big threat, because though the thing that they they are you know that really puts them on the map is being any kind of threat in, in the first place, other than just being your basic pirates, is something that can and will be taken away from them at any time now because she's going to die. So, like, this whole thing feels like it's starting on a really shaky foundation to me, and it's a little bit disappointing um, that this is the case. It, it it feels like, to me, and this is just my opinion, but it would have been much smarter to try and find a way to which this is some, and maybe this is the case, but this is some sort of lost force ability or something that makes much more sense than it's just this one person who has this capability and they've got it. And, you know, obviously the Santecas too, their family were famous, you know, hyperspace explorers. They were the ones charting major hyperspace lanes. So, you know, this seems like maybe it's a Santeca gift and we know the Santecas, especially in the future, we part of the church of the force. They're going to hold high regard, the force, so it feels like that's all got to be connected somehow, but it, it it felt right now it just feels like more of a convenience uh, convenience for the plot rather than something that feels in any way necessarily organic. And that again, later books could make that better, but at the same time, it feels like it's incumbent upon this book to help us make us feel comfortable with a lot of these things right out of the gate, like that its job you know when you're introducing a whole new era and like you said William too when it comes to the fact that this might how this is lost in the future like when you insert something this big and this galaxy changing to a galaxy that's already pre-existent that doesn't exist later on it it becomes hard to rationalize why and how this wouldn't exist later on so yeah, and you you can try to explain it away for sure. You know, it's not like they can't sure. they can't f- explain it, but I, it does feel like they've opened a can of worms that it's going to be much harder to explain away. Um, and you know, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Um, I do think it's kind of cool. Like if taking up, you know, it's not Star Wars is not science uh, fiction. It's more as you said, more science fantasy. Um, that you could we could quibble about you know whether it makes sense from a, a scientific standpoint, but the capability was is kind of cool, um, and definitely makes the the nil seem more 
um, you know, like they they can come out of it, come from anywhere, and attack at any time. You know, and going to this era, what I was hoping that it would free up the authors to do almost anything that they want to. You're far from the Empire and 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 the Clone Wars and and everything that's going on there. And so, in some respect, you expect something big and epic. I mean, especially if this is a multiple book series. But then when we get into this book, and I'm not saying I don't like the book or I like the book at this point. I'm just saying it just feels like a setup, but it doesn't seem as if it's galaxy changing. But at the same time, like what we're saying is, but if it was set up to be galaxy changing, then why didn't we hear about it in the eras that we're familiar with? Why doesn't it have an impact on those eras? So there's like this fine line of how do you do a series of books like this as big and epic and galaxy changing when it doesn't seem to have an impact in a couple centuries from now. But at the same time, I wouldn't mind it being smaller stories, but then it really wouldn't be anything that would attract a lot of people to read a series of books for small stories. And I think you know, that's the problem sometimes I feel like the publishing arm is having with Star Wars right now is, well, we don't want to step on the toes of the filmmakers right now so we have to be careful and kind of keep it down but bring it up a little but not too far and that's what it almost feels like we're getting right now. and i i think part of that has to do with the fact and, and look i mean we can compare it to our own world and and um you know having read both of the books in the series so far you know i, I know how much obviously uh, even just take the united states how much it changes in 200 years right it's changed dramatically right um but in star wars galaxy far far away you know um and things seem to take place in a much longer time span you know for over a thousand generations the you know the jedi were the guardians of peace and justice in the old republic you know uh and so that's what this whole thing is based off of but it seems like to just go 200 years before uh, i think you you kind of forgive me for saying it but i feel like they kind of half-assed it in the sense that don't go just 200 years before. Go a 1,000 years before. So you really have a ton of time to play with. And that makes it a lot easier to make to, to understand like why a 1,000 years of history, you know, um, could change. Uh, and, and people wouldn't necessarily, it wouldn't be under the, the, the thought process of people's minds. But when you have characters like Yoda showing up or Yara Poot, Yarl Poof or you know those kind of things like we have characters who exist in the in the in the prequels you know and so um it just it's like it's close enough it's not far enough for you me to really kind of buy it um you know look I get somebody's probably yelling at me right now listening to this but like but people forgot the Jedi existed you know from you know the Clone Wars onward you know but it's like but yeah well there was also a a whole you know misinformation campaign going on for 30 years on purpose you know so it's there are story ways that you could get around all of these things um but so far again and we do see even in real life people sure, have very absolutely. short memories. Um yeah. but yeah. <laughs> but yes, yes. <laughs> so I, I think I think the biggest thing is is we're it's leaving us with a lot of questions that are going to be very interesting to see how they play out. Um you know, uh, lastly just kind of on this whole hyperspace thing um as we've been talking I was kind of frustrated with the book too when we are trying to solve this problem 
And when they needed like 50 some odd thousand nav droids to try and figure this out, I was like, that seems like a really high number, you know, like, um, and a little excessive, like it's Star Wars, especially, and forgive me for saying, but you know, when in the rise of Skywalker, we get, uh, that the fleet at Exegol will, will, have 10,000 fold like the amount of ships that the the first order had it's like okay you're just talking in numbers that are absurd at this point you know and i feel like this is kind of doing that as well like 50,000 nav droids like it just again you don't have to create numbers that are that big for us to understand the weight of it even if you just said like we need a thousand i would have still felt like oh that seems impossible you know yeah, and then uh, yeah, there's and fifty thousand. Like, how much space does that take up? Right, like, exactly. How, is it like, miles and miles? It seemed like you'd need a whole <laughs> valley. Bring, just, it, just nothing on it, you know, like a planet with nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I, and then I'm just surprised they don't have like giant server farms. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, that's basically what they like, created, right? Like, like you could argue a lot of server farms are like you know fifty thousand computers, right? But you know, they have a whole droid instead of just like exactly you know, taking out the the processor and putting in a giant. Well, when I read how many there were, I thought, wait a second, are they in space? Because that would make sense to me if they're out in space. But then it's like, no, it would have helped with cooling. Well, they said the yeah, problem it is that it would help with cooling because in space heat doesn't dissipate. So oh, that's right. Therefore, yes, you, that's right. Yeah, oh, they, okay. they brought that up okay, specifically. So. Um, it, it just right. feels like it would have been yeah. better on like an ice planet. Like, why don't you go to Hoth, you know, and, and do this? It just seems like right. it would be the perfect place. But at least on this planet, on this planet, at least you can create rain to cool them yeah. down. I mean, enough right, rain right. to cover that, that, the Jedi miles. rain dance, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, right. oh, by the way, that scene though, when they said the clouds started to appear, I thought it was the Nile coming. I was like, oh, yeah. Nile's coming. And then they said it was rain. I was like, oh, I was really disappointed because I really thought, oh, this is going to get really good now. And it didn't. I thought they were coming to attack the droids. You know, um, I, I just I think it's it's really interesting, you know, um, when we talk about all of these ideas. And, you know, again, this is about introducing us to a new era. And part of that is is it's going to raise questions you know for star wars fans such as ourselves and i mean let's be honest all the people that are star wars fans uh like super star wars fans are reading these books and asking these same questions it's not like we're unique you know i mean we're super star wars fans are the ones who read star wars books you know um i'm i'm sure if you looked at the actual percentage of star wars fans that read the books it's probably my guess is like 25% maybe 30 who are actively reading every single book. So um, the way we are and ask. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, it just, it, it's really interesting. Um, so uh, the Nile, I really wanted to ask you guys about them. Um, I'm really not sure how to feel about them as villains. Um, and what was fascinating to me is I've been recently watching uh, the series Vikings uh, that was on the history channel and I swear, it's like they had been watching that show and just decided to create Space Vikings, uh, because that's exactly what they feel like. And and so, how did you guys feel about them as villains? And especially since, I mean, they're supposed to be our foils here so far for the Jedi. I, this, the, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but I was surprised 
by their portrayal. Like, you know, going into this, they said space Vikings. They said uh, one of the things they they said the most, uh, I think, is like one of the core concepts for the now was what do the Jedi fear or what scares the Jedi? Space um, Vikings, apparently. Yeah, that's what they kept yeah. talking about. And uh, and I kind of in my head almost had like a they're they're like the Yuzhan Vong, especially with a lot of the concept art was very Vong like uh, or the art they shared. Um, not the same, but very much more organic and stuff poking out everywhere, etc. And that really wasn't this at all. Um, the Viking part, I, yeah, yeah. The, the Viking analogy makes uh, is apt, um, but. I was very surprised by how much they, they, uh, how much character development they got, and how much they tried to almost humanize the the Nile. They weren't, you know, again, they they weren't didn't really feel they were definitely evil and out for themselves, but they didn't really feel like cannibalistic or like the Yuzhan Vong or anything like that. They were, um, they they had really fascinating leadership structure, right? They had Marcian Rowe, who's in charge of things. He's getting this information on the paths from his kidnapped Mari Senteca. They had, uh, you know, the, the three leaders of, uh, of the, the Nile, their, their groups, the Tempests, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or I'm trying to get yeah, the, it's like the, the rankings. the Tempest and then the I Storms forget. and then the Strikes is the lowest, yeah, I think, if I remember correctly. So. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that was, you know, interesting. They the the, the, the the dynamic, how they how they work together. It almost made them feel a lot less scary. And at the end, I was like, okay, I I, I actually kind of liked them, but I don't see how they scare the Jedi necessarily, and how how they're going to be a permanent villain in the in the series. I don't know. What did, what did you guys think? They grew on me. I mean, to you, to the point that you said they got a lot of character development which i thought they got more so than the jedi so i became more interested mm-hmm. in them um the viking piece of it i just I, I found it to be interesting because you know in star wars we get all types of different villains and different books and series and movies and such and at least this isn't an empire this isn't sith this isn't force users so it's going to be something a little different and the fact the fact that's in the outer edge made sense to me because I thought they're just going to be a loose gang of baddies out in the outer edge. I don't see anybody well organized. And yet now I feel like because they've discovered a certain power that they have with the paths that now they can start to organize. Now they have a leader because there was a lot of infighting prior to this and, and there continues to be some infighting, but now it seems like, okay, they're going to get their act together and, and organize why they create much fear in the Jedi I, I don't really see a lot of that either, except for fear that they're going to harm others in this sector of the galaxy. And, and you, um, you, you brought up a good point, right? The the people in that sector, they're definitely scared of the Nile. Um, you know, they they have this reputation about them, but they're as as terrifying as their reputation is. It's only in one small part of the galaxy, and they're really not. They're not like everywhere. They at the end of the book, they're they kind of make this. They kind of decide, okay, let's, let's gather more people. Let's let's go everywhere in the galaxy now. We're not going to just leave ourselves contained in one spot. But while they're terrifying, in that one section of the galaxy, they're really a small group when it comes down to it. Like a full third of their organization is wiped out in this book. And you know, there's not a whole lot left. And so, yeah, very different than I was expecting. But I did, 
I, I, I liked them. Uh, and not like I approved of what they're doing, but I, I thought they were interesting to read and, and the dynamics at play. And I, and I think those people who are afraid, they're more afraid, I think, right now of the paths because of what happened before. And so once they start connect the two, then all of a sudden the fear of the past is the fear of the Nile. And they'll think mm-hmm. that the Nile's in charge of the path. And that becomes almost like your super weapon for these stories. Well, and one of the things that I mean is interesting here is that, you know, um, there's a quote in the book about how the Nile, it, it seems to be this thing that's all about freedom and doing what you want. Um, and, but once you are a Nile, you kind of realize that you still have a boot on your chest, even though it didn't always feel like it because of all of the burn parties and smashing and the thrill of taking what you wanted when you wanted, but you still had to do exactly what your bosses said and the bosses above them. So like in many ways, there's this thing about like, I'll do what I want. Like you're Cartman from South park. And yet at the same time, it's really not. And in, 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 in many ways, the Nile, they say was just another form of control an engine designed to roll credits up to the people at the top of the organization. It is, the Viking pyramid scheme, you know, like that's just kind of what this is. And so I think what this is supposed to be is that that we are supposed to juxtapose them with the Republic in the sense that the Republic is we are all the Republic. That's their motto right now. And so really, I think what they're trying to get out with the Nile is that it's the idea of the selflessness and the selfish at play here. You know, and and which one works out better, which one looks better, which one is better moralistically. You know, Star Wars is all about teaching morals. And so I think that that's the point of the Nile, really, more so than them necessarily being a foil for the Jedi, which they're really not. I mean, like William, you said, a third of their group is annihilated very easily, honestly. You know, there's some losses on the Jedi side, but this isn't difficult for them. Um, so I, I think it's more about the thematic elements, but in all honesty, and this is what I kind of disliked about the Nile and even just the Republic here is that everything is so on the nose that there's no subtlety here. You know, there's absolutely no subtlety. Um, and you know, maybe people come back at me and say, well, how much subtlety is there in Emperor Palpatine? But I mean... I don't know, you know, I mean, I feel like the prequels do a pretty good job of uh, making this character who is very subtle in his movements and how he, you know, interacts and very careful to, you know, this just seems, again, it the, the Nihilist characters just feel so on the nose for like, we'll do what we want, you know, and the Jedi and the Republic are all, we're all the Republic. And it's like, okay, I, I, I just wish... I wish writing these days in so many things, whether television shows or in literature, would stop being so blatant. Like, I I want more nuance, and this just has absolutely zero nuance to it, to me. And that's why I feel that they should focus more on a central group of characters and not be so broad. I mean, because then you can develop all these characters and the nuance and, and their, and their backstories and why they're doing what they're doing and the relationship and what their conflict is. This just feels to me, as I said earlier, like we're trying to do a big galactic story. It's not about this character versus this character. It's about this group versus that group. Yeah. I, I, part of me wonders again, 
we'll see where the show goes. If they will try to have some of both, you know, if, if they'll have some stories that are very much more character centric and not really about the, the larger conflict and others will be about the, the Jedi trying to go up against the, the Nile. So there, there may be some room for that, but I, I don't, I, I don't disagree. Well, and I think that leads me to ask you guys about the Republic. I mean, you know, I mentioned the idea of like this whole thing about the Republic's motto is, you know, we are the Republic. Um, and we have a chancellor here is kind of all about her great works, which, you know, to me felt so much like a cross between the Elizabethan golden age, as well as the WPA in the thirties, like had a baby. Uh, and you know, that's where Starlight Beacon are coming that uh, coming from this idea that there will be more beacons, this spreading the light of the Republic to the outer rim and so I, I wondered for, for both of you as well, you know, how does that work for you? Did, I mean, did, did, did the Republic itself um, and how it's portrayed here, uh, does it work as a storytelling uh, point? And, and does it just even work as an idea of like, this is what the Republic is at this time period? I mean, it kind of does. I mean, they want to expand, which, you know, pisses off the the Nile because they're coming into their territory and it's going to ruin everything for them. But I really didn't feel like there was a whole lot to the Republic. I mean, it does seem like it's a peaceful time. There probably isn't a whole lot going on. And, you know, they're at a place where, where there's peace, they can now expand and get to learn about other worlds and get them into the fold. And, but it just, the real, it just, I didn't feel like we really learned that much about the Republic at this point. They just kind of seemed like they were there. Like, oh, yeah, we got the Republic in the book, you know, because that's what we have in Star well, Wars. The High Republic, but, Bruce. Uh, it's the High Republic, right, because they're all smoking weed or something. <laughs> There's a lot of pot um, shops here <laughs> in the galaxy at this point. <laughs> <laughs> that's why everything's so light. Yeah, it's, uh, exactly. <laughs> Everybody's feeling good. <laughs> <laughs> now that actually would have been more interesting to me <laughs> um but yeah i don't know i don't really have a lot to say about the republic in this one you know it's the republic itself didn't feel all that different uh overall like the the, the chancellor kept talking about the higher public and everyone you know working together and trying to do these great works throughout the the, the galaxy things like the starlight beacon and other big projects that can help the the uh the republic um but kind of taking that out you know aside from her um her kind of mantra of we're all the republic and let's already band together and and that sort of thing uh which is you know it's a um it's a noble goal um aside from that it didn't feel all that different to the republic normally i think there were certainly scenes where everyone came together much faster uh and much easier uh, than we've seen in uh, in other Star Wars eras, like you know when they needed the fifty thousand nav droids and everyone just immediately somehow the they they magically got all the droids they needed. <laughs> um, but uh, otherwise, I don't know. It's it still kind of feels like the Republic to me. I mean, I agree with you, William, and I think uh, again, I would say one of the things is that obviously this is supposed to be a juxtaposition between the Republic we see in The Phantom Menace, right? Where uh, there is no civility, there is only politics, uh, and 
and it's supposed to be even a juxtaposition of where we are today in our society where everything just seems to be about your side and my side and our side and whatever um and and so but again i think the the thing that really just sticks in my craw and this this comes from having read the book twice now is just that it's a lack of subtlety i think that you could write this without coming up with a slogan to which is so on the nose where we are all the Republican. People keep saying it throughout this book, and it makes me kind of want to slap them in the face because it sounds so cheesy. It doesn't sound like it would legitimately yeah, come out of anybody's mouth ever. you know. Um, and I think that there's a way to do this in which you can write the same type of story where everybody is coming together, but you don't have to say it. You know... Um, Books, as much as film, it's about showing, not telling. And you can show people coming together much more quickly and working together much differently um, than what we got in the Phantom Menace era without having somebody so blatantly say, we are all the Republic. And I think that's the thing that I'm really going to I keep dinging this book for is that it just feels really on the nose and I don't need a book to tell me what to think. I need a book to make me feel like I should think in a certain way, right? By storytelling. I, I want a book to encourage me to think a specific way because of the actions of the characters, not because they say a slogan. You know, just allow We Are the Republic to be, I mean, you could write that on the whiteboard. And, and and say, this is the thematic element mm-hmm. to which we want characters in the Republic to portray. How do we make them portray that, right? Um, without having to mm-hmm. say it. That's what you should have put on the whiteboard. Like, um, And instead, I feel like they put on the whiteboard, we are all the Republic, and they're like, well, if we just keep saying it enough, people will get it. Well, I will get it, but it's also just going to be obnoxious. So... Um, I think it's just a it's a disappointing thing here because um I will say Soul is a great writer. Um his his Darth Vader one was beyond phenomenal uh in the comics. One of the best things in New Canon, honestly, that I've really, really enjoyed and I would highly recommend to anyone. And even his Poe Dameron run was really good in the comics as well. So I know that Charles Soul can write excellent stories. I think that here Somebody needed to come up to, to needed to edit better. Um, they just needed to say, you know what, we like this idea, but how do we show this instead of telling this? Yeah, I, I, and it makes me wonder as you're talking through this because I love his other stories, like you mentioned. How much of this was really influenced by committee? <laughs> I mean, the book keeps saying we are a republic, and it's like, well, we are the committee that's putting these we stories are the together. Committee. I am not a of- committee. <laughs> 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 yeah, he's just following this pattern of okay, this is the direction we want to go, and these are the stories we want to tell, as opposed to you know, here's Vader or here's Poe Dameron, write a good character story. Instead, it's like here you go, Charles. We're building this universe. We're building this time, you know, and like you're saying, we're all in a dry erase board writing all these ideas down and now, you know, put it in and set it up for us. That's what it feels like. Set it up for us, Charles. 
including dinosaurs, which I still roll my eyes about every time I hear them mention like dinosaurs with their big ideas for this era. But well, we um, haven't even gotten to the no. You're totally right. Force plants. So you know, hold hold on to your butts. (laughs) But I I think you're totally right, Bruce. And on the one hand, I really like how they're all plotting the 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 storyline together. I, I think that's great. It's something that they haven't done often enough in other parts of, of Lucasfilm and kind of tried to plan things out a little <laughs> more advanced. Um, so, I, I, so I'm really glad that they're doing that here. Uh, but I think in this particular case, the We Are All the Republic does, definitely does probably stem from them all kind of getting together and just deciding to go to use this. And again, I think the sentiment is nice, but I, 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 as you, it's probably would have been better to, to show and not just tell. You know, I, I think if I were Lucasfilm, this is how I would do things. I would say I would not have like this, all these writers involved in planning it. I would pick one, two, three at the most and say, and m- probably two and say, okay, you two are going to make a series of books. You can alternate, you know, one writes the first one, one writes the second, alternate, whatever. But the two of you scope this whole thing out put it all together and you're going to write the adult novels. Now we're going to bring in other authors in that can then build in your universe and you kind of direct it. You're the, you're the showrunners of this and they can then write young adult novels, children novels, whatever games or whatever that build off of what you're creating. But when it becomes more and more people, that's where it feels too much like of the committee. And I feel like it gets a little muddy. So kind of like the Mandalorian and having Favreau and Filoni be at the top, you know, the, and, and, they're yes. the ones directing the show the in the sense that like where things are going to go, they're, they're creating the story together and then everybody else is working underneath them to, and, and we've seen from the, you know, uh, the gallery where it's very collaborative. Like all of the directors are working very closely with, uh, Favreau and Filoni, you know, they're all having conversations together. The directors themselves are all are talking to each other and helping each other. So, you can have all that kind of collaboration, but wow, Bruce, I think you've absolutely nailed it here. When you make story by committee, it's never as good as when you have one or just two people really helping create the vision and then move forward. I mean, I think um, I could not have said it better myself. So I, that's, I think it's absolutely true. And um, William, uh, and I think, you know, you will remember this really well, obviously, they did the same thing, you know, back in uh, the Legends days when they were writing those big series, those big mm-hmm. nine book series uh, that they started doing like uh, Legacy of the Force and uh, Legacy of the Jedi, where they just had three authors. And those three authors mm-hmm. worked. Yep, they, they alternated, alternated and they worked together. Um, and, you know, how all that worked. But I would say that that was at least more successful um, in the sense of cohesion of, of story and thought. Right. So far. And I get, I get that, like with with um, with this era, I think they're trying to, they want the interconnectivity, but they also want things to be more standalone, because the one downside of those nine book, you know, uh, sagas, which as much as we loved them, was that you had to, you had to read all of them, and I think what they're trying to do is craft a story that's interconnected without requiring that you read them all. Um, We'll see how successful it is, you know, because you you're not you don't have that mom- as much of that momentum building off of each book um, if if they're not required reading. So yeah, I don't know, we'll see. It's still it's still very True. early in the in this new time period. Well, I mean, I, I guess that leads us to the Jedi, 
Uh, I mean, this series is legitimately based off of, they've said many times, it was based off Obi-Wan Kenobi's comment, you know, that a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic. And that that was one of the, uh, you know, defining characteristics and and jumping off points for what this was going to be. Um, you know, a couple quotes here from a, a, you know, that I picked up on about the Jedi here in the book is, you know, being a Jedi is not about saving oneself. Um, and does the action I'm about to take, one of the Jedi says, uh, going to bring more light into the galaxy. That's how they made their decisions. Um, on top of that, we have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. That's, that's not all of the Jedi that are mentioned, but there are at least 12 Jedi mentioned. And at least uh, 9 of those have action throughout the story here. Um, so, you know, this is all about the light of the Jedi. Um, how did, when, and what did you think of the Jedi in this era? And, and on top of that, were there any of these Jedi that stuck out to you at all? You know, I I will say one thing I really liked about this book is I thought the characters, it was really easy to, uh, to, to like the characters, regardless of which side they were on. You know, we talked about how earlier we, we kind of liked reading about the, the, the nil, the, I, I, I really enjoyed many of the Jedi. I, uh, I thought they were interesting characters. You know, oftentimes in new eras, it can be hard to get people to care about uh, new characters. Um, and I, I liked it. I, I thought, you know, I liked, uh, Avar Chris, um, and, you know, and Elzar Man and, and their dynamic. I liked the, the master apprentice relationship between Loden and Bell. Um, a lot. Porter Ingle was a very interesting uh, uh, Jedi as well, like the Jedi cook who's been around so long. He's had so many different jobs. Um, and of course, we got many you know references to classic Jedi we know, like Yoda and Opal Rancisis and Yurl Poof. Um, so I don't know. Overall, I, I I liked a lot of the Jedi. There were a lot of them. Uh, and again, I, it definitely seems like there's just a lot of laying the groundwork. Um, but I kind of wish... It had been, you know, I feel like the story really, once you get to, once you read the first third of the book, it really becomes, you know, I think like Loden and Bell take a lot of the focus, Avar and, and Elzar as well, uh, to an extent. Um, and I, I kind of enjoyed it more once we got to that point, rather than just jumping around between all the different Jedi and other characters. Yeah, same here. There's a lot of characters early on who were just like, they're only in there for a chapter and then they're, they're dead, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, sorry, Bruce. It was starting to get confusing for that reason. Cause there was just so many of them. Oh, one's dead. One's dead. it's like, okay, so we're just going to rotate through a bunch of Jedi. And, and then as the book proceeded later, we're getting, you know, these other Jedi, Avar Chris and Elzar man and Loden and bell. And I started to really like them because now we're spending some time with them, but still it wasn't enough. Like I, I'm starting to get to know them, but not real well. I, I think it was at one point someone mentioned, one of the Jedi's mentioned, like, Loden has a good sense of humor or something. And I thought, oh, I'd never pick that up. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's like saying, we are the Republic. You're just telling me that. I, you know, I, but I would like to know more about these Jedi. So I got interested in them, like you're saying. Actually, my favorite one was Porter Engel. Just because he's been around a long time, he's an older, and then he, you know, he's this cook, and I'm like, oh, he doesn't probably do much now. He's kind of retired, and now all of a sudden, 
he's this badass Jedi doing all kinds of stuff. I wanted to see more of him. Like, I'll take a standalone book on that guy. Man, Bruce, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> I mean, you're nailing my opinion right now <laughs> in the sense that I thought he was the most interesting character of the book because of his longevity. I mean, we've uh, only really known characters like Yoda that have been really long-lived in the, in the Jedi order like that. And the fact that he's done so many different things, he's been willing to be somebody who's really kind of explored every area it means and what it means to be a Jedi and, and different jobs and different forms is was fantastic. And I, I wanted more of him. Um, and I think, you know, you both were kind of saying this, like everybody's kind of interesting. I think like I, I, I think, but I don't ever spend enough time with them to really care enough about if any of them die or anything like that, because I don't know them from Adam or, you know, I don't know them, uh, put it this way, I don't know them from Luke Skywalker in this universe, you know, so, okay. Um, and, like, I think Avar's relationship with Elzar is really fascinating, the fact that you can obviously tell, it kind of reminds me of um, the uh, Jedi Apprentice books, where, you know, you have um, Qui-Gon and his relationship with Tall, you know, where they seem to have this kind of connection with each other and that goes way beyond, you know, like, um, and how does that play out in this, this, this part of the Republic and in, in, in this time period, you know, like to me, that's fascinating. But again, it's just some things that are really hinted at, you know, and, you know, I kind of, it's interesting to see there's a ton of force usage in this book. The force is, I mean, the Jedi are using the force in all kinds of crazy, awesome ways, which I think is cool too. You know, Avar really, um, we spend the most time with her and her understanding of the force as if it's a song that she hears, which, okay, that's interesting too. But again, we're jumping around so much that I'm not able to really spend enough time with any one of these characters to form an attachment that me, as a human being, that's not a Jedi needs. I need attachment to character. And so I think it's, the problem is, is that I'm kind of interested, but I, I'm not really able to latch on to any one person because nobody here is actually the POV character. Um, there isn't anybody whose story is being told here. Like, and I, I think something I want to jump into you guys with this is, is this, the idea of this as an introduction. Um, because I'll be honest, I think there are way too many characters here and there's way too much going on for me to care about really any of it. And in some ways, and I feel like I'm sounding harsh, but I think it's just as we're talking about the book, I'm really becoming more and more frustrated. And I've thought about this the last few days. If you think about any Star Wars movie, show, or games that have introduced us something new, they all start off with the POV, the point of view of one or two people at most. Right? You know, I mean, Mandalorian just came out. First few episodes, it's all about him, right? Uh, and his point of view and getting to know him. And then we start to branch off. I, I think, although, to me, the this feels more akin to KOTOR in the sense of what we're trying to accomplish and, and, and the part of the galaxy we're trying to be in and the, and the time period. And that's a good example. We spend all of this time with one person. We're watching everything through their point of view and then we kind of add new characters but everything is still through the point of view of of you asking the questions 
you know, you getting to know the other characters and their stories, but through you uh, as that point of view character. And um, in all honesty, I think what they should have done is they should have started off much more slowly um, and that the point of view character should have been Avar. And that should have been it. Like everything should have been through her. Like every part of the story. Um, you could have done the flip side where everything's through the point of view of um, Marchion Rowe. And those two will be your point of view characters and that's it. I, I will say like, the fact that they, they had March and Rose point of view, I think it, it added a lot of depth to the Nile, but I also think it made them a lot less scary because it, it, it wasn't like this unknown force. It was just, we knew exactly what they were, who they were, what they were doing. It's like, it, it definitely diminished their, their uh, scariness. Um, but I don't disagree. Like I, on the one hand, it was nice. I, I did like getting to, to know a bunch of the Jedi, but I think you could have done it through you know a single person's point of view and, and maybe gotten a little more attached to it i suspect it really all comes down to uh it really all comes down to being they, they wanted this book to be an intro for the era and to introduce a whole bunch of characters i don't know if there's these characters are going to be picked up by other authors and other books but i, I suspect it kind of was the mission of this book to introduce the nile introduce a bunch of these characters introduce the era and other books will pick up those characters and, and run with them. And I think in some ways the book kind of suffers as a result. Um, but it, I also don't necessarily fault, um, uh, you know, fault Charles Holt because I think that's what he was told to do. Yeah, exactly. That's what I think. It almost feels to me as if the book is the setup for the game. Like, you know, you're going <laughs> like to play a game of chess and no one's played. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, okay, this is the pieces. These are the pieces. These are the characters. And we're eventually going to get to them. But first, we're going to just set up the, the board for you. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, I do feel like we're being a little harsh on the book. But but I think that's the piece, though, that I'm missing is the, that character focus, that central character or central characters. It To me, when I read a story... You know, there's times where people say like, oh my gosh, that story was so awful and so ridiculous. But for me, it could be that way. But if the characters are interesting to me, I still have fun with it, even though the story's ridiculous. But if the story's really good, but the characters suck and I don't care, that doesn't do it for me. Even if it's a good story. If I'm not connected with the characters, it doesn't really work that well for me. Well, I Bruce, uh, golly, I feel like we're in one mind tonight because you know one of the things i kind of even wrote down in our outline was the idea is that like in in the end this book is about plot it's not about characters and character should always drive the story you know um chris jones and i were just talking on the orb about the, one of the things that made deep space nine so successful and and mike pillar had, had a quote that um when they were writing star trek stories the especially with deep space nine it was always about character first plot came second and here plot comes first and we only get plot we don't get character and if you don't have characters for us to care about we don't care about the story um because who, no care i don't care how big the plot is if there's nobody in that plot that i can attach to and again that's i think the 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 problem with the book is that if you had just made this story about introducing us to the jedi through the eyes of Avar, who is one of the Jedi's leading lights, 
I think it would have been really fascinating. Um, and I would have had one character to care about, and she would have helped introduce me to this universe. And I, I and, and part of that, and I think that, and I hate to be, I hate to sound so harsh, but this is the easy way out. Um, you're by not willing, be willing to take your time with a series. They're trying to do too much too fast with too many characters and with too much going on. And um, I th- again, take KOTOR as an example where everything starts off really small. You wake up on a ship, you don't know who you are, and you got to go figure it out, right? And the rest of the game is about exploring the entire galaxy that is the KOTOR galaxy. But it's all through the point of view of one person. And so I think you need to, you needed to have somebody say, we need to hold our horses. We need to start off much slower. And I think it would be much more successful to do that because, again, then I care because I'm invested in Ivar. Avar. I'm invested in Avar. Not Ivar because that's a seafood restaurant here in the Northwest. So <laughs> I do think they have a lot of the pieces, though, which is, which is good because, like, you know, I really liked the characters we did get. And I, I, I think had we spent more time with them, I would have been more invested. Uh, and had, had the plot been more focused around their character development, uh, I think it could have been really interesting. As you said, you know, Avar is really interesting. Um, he's, you know, she's a cool character. Um, Porter Engel was an awesome character, right? Uh, learning, getting to see how, like, Bell Zedifar is trying to learn to be... Uh, you know, try to learn how to use the force to like slow his fall. And these characters, I, I did really like it just, I think they could have done more and that had the, I, I, yeah, I, I think if we got more of a focus on the characters, it probably would have been more successful. That being said, um, I think I enjoyed the characters in this book and I, I, and credit to a lot of Charles Sewell's writing too. It was, it was a very easy book to read a lot of very fun, and aside from honest, from I really loved, I loved Chaos Rising uh, last last fall. But aside from that, it's I I I like I like the characters and I like the the writing style much better than many of the other books we've gotten over the last year or two. Um, even if they're as we've we've talked about, it's it's not a perfect book. Um, there was a lot of aspects I really liked about it. Well, I, I mean, lastly. We have the epilogue, which is, you know, uh, we've got Elzar uh, having a vision of what's coming, and apparently it's fear. Fear, fear right, is coming, right. guys. People are afraid of the, those paths. I'm, I'm, it's the paths. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of. of being afraid, you know. Now, you know what have been... Okay, now... I, I don't like to do this, but I'm going to. I don't want to tell somebody how to write something. Oh, you should have done it this way, but... In this case, it would have been better. The sphere thing is if he sent something that the opening the paths has caused some kind of disruption or darkness in the force that has created a fear that it's going to affect the Jedi and the Jedi ability to use the force in the outer rim. Something to that effect where it's really impacting them, not just fear is coming to the galaxy. Because I'm not really feeling that this group the Nile are the big threat to the galaxy that there's going to be this overall fear that's going on, but something else that this is prompting that's going to bring and just get a hint of what that is. But we didn't get that. 
So I'm not I'm not fearing anything. I don't know. What do you think, William? It was definitely an odd way to end it. I, I get what they're trying to do. Again, they're wanting to um, kind of kick off the era, get people really excited about it. Something's happening. Something's coming. Um, but it was... Um, I don't think just saying fear is coming was the most successful. They should have given a little more concrete information about like what what is there to be afraid of? What it, what is this? I don't I don't really know. Yeah, I, I mean I agree with both of you. Um, I, I was I was surprised when I read it. I was like, yeah. what? Huh? <laughs> so um, you know, talking through the book, I'm really interested to see where you guys kind of land with your ratings here uh, for for Light of the Jedi. So uh, William, I'll let you go first. Um. Yeah, I, I think overall, I did enjoy the book. You know, it, it's not a perfect Star Wars book. Um, and, you know, we talked about some of its shortcomings, but there, I, like I said, I liked a lot of the characters. Uh, I thought it had some interesting aspects of hyperspace, uh, in there as well. Um, you know, and so overall, like, I, I, I'd probably give it like a, you know, seven out of 10, something like that. I, I enjoyed it. It's, it, it's not a perfect book, but, uh, you know, I'm, interested to see more of what they do in in the era and where they take these characters and hopefully give us more um, background on them and uh, more more development um, and i'm very curious to see what they end up doing with the era overall like how separate the books are or how interconnected they are yeah i'm with you on that i I did enjoy the book. I mean, when I was first reading it, it was kind of slow going, even though the disaster is happening, there's a lot of action. I really wasn't connecting that much to it because we weren't, as we were saying before, really connecting to characters. It was just events that were happening. But once I got to the halfway point, I started to get myself more and more interested. When we started to focus a little more on characters, a little more in certain situations, I was starting to get more interested into the Nile and, and that group. And uh, so you know, by the end of the book, I will say, yeah, the the whole thing about the fear, I was like, okay, that just kind of seems a little lost to me. But I did leave it thinking, okay, it's a nice little setup. I'm just curious to know where it goes. So I'm interested in reading the next book, whatever book that is that picks up on the story. I'm not really all that clear. Um, I know there's different books coming, but I don't know. I guess the next adult book that comes out is the one that continues the story. But I, I did start to get into it and I am curious to see where it goes. So it's a good setup, but now I'm ready to get to the meat, you know, and I want some good characters, a lot of character development and get to a meat of a story to the point that if I read other books, one day I want to come back and read this book and say, dang, that was, this was, this is a good book because it really sets up what happens later. And right now I'm just kind of like, it was okay. I'd like to see where it goes. We'll, we'll check it out. But I didn't leave this going, yes, Star Wars, it's back. So, uh, I mean, it's never yeah, left. Yeah, where, where does that put you <laughs> ratings-wise? Oh, yeah, ratings-wise, I would give this 47 out of 74 times someone says, we are the Republic. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really think... Bruce, you're making us do math. I don't math even know what that, that means. Uh, yeah, I don't do math. Um, I having read the book twice, the second re—I mean, the second time through, actually, my rating went down. Um, I had had it, I think, at three and a half um, out of five stars. Uh, but this, 
this definitely went down to three out of five. Like it's it's decent, but it has a lot of issues, especially with this being a introduction book to an era. Um, and and they're all the issues that we talked about. So I don't need to relitigate them here. Um, I'm hoping that, like you said, Bruce, some of the books that come up in the future can maybe ameliorate some of this. Um, you know, I have read a uh, a Test of Courage, and I'll say that I think that might be a better book than this. But we'll have to wait till I cover that with my friend Aaron Goins. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm just um I would say. That as it goes with the High Republic, I can't say I'm super excited right now. So I guess it's it's a you know waiting game. So we'll we'll see what comes. Um, but but yeah, I mean, uh, it it's it's not bad, but I can't say it's great, and that's disappointing. I really want it to be great. Uh, I was really looking forward to this as an era, and and William, you mentioned like Chaos Rising, um, which I just thought was beyond phenomenal as a Star Wars book, um, and talk about finding a way to do a new area of Star Wars with lots of new characters. Um, but, you know, it's got a good POV, which is through Thrawn's point of view. So, you know, uh, we, we know him, and, and that helps us uh, then get to know the rest of that net new era, no new characters. So, yeah. But uh, excited uh, to see what will be coming out next. Uh, we'll have a couple weeks uh, here. We'll have a test of courage coming out. Um, I, uh, Aaron Goins joins me for that one, so we'll have to look for that. But uh, Bruce, if people would like to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on besides talking Star Wars here uh, on the 602 Club, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. You can also find me on Instagram at just Admiral Rex, no underscore. And uh, you can find me on the Star Wars Report occasionally with Riley Blanton, only when he wants me on or when I say, yes, I'm going to come on. It just all depends on schedules. And then I'm also on Positively Trek with Dan Gunther, reviewing everything that you can think of under the sun in Star Trek from the shows to the movies to the books to whatever. I mean, we we do it all on there. And uh, then I get around other places, too. In fact, Bruce... Um Maybe we should announce to everybody who's listening, uh, you're going to be joining me on Literary Tracks a little bit more often coming up, which is really exciting. I was thinking of saying that, but I didn't know if I was allowed to. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> so. I, we're very excited that uh, you're going to be joining us every once in a while uh, to, to cover, especially we're going to be uh, working on, you know, you guys had been going through the 24th century books, and I think I counted, we have like seven or eight books left in that, that era that we've right. never covered Uh and so we're going to be working on that together, and then uh, we'll see where else it goes. But uh, I'm so excited to to be having you back to join us with that, um, and to be you know able to continue uh, that that process because uh, my favorite era of Trek books right there. So um, William, uh, it's so great to have you back. And of course, I mentioned you know you're on Ion Cannon podcast. But uh, what else have you got going on? And where can people find you uh, if they want to catch up with you and and see what other Star Wars goodies and other things you've got going on? Yeah, thanks again for having me on. This was so much fun. Um, yeah, as you said, you can listen to me on the Ion Cannon podcast. Uh, we you know, record when weekly when there's new Star Wars television shows out, and when there's not, we take them a little bit, a couple weeks off, but we'll. Re- we're often recording the books, reviewing the books and um, games, etc. 
Um, so that's over on uh, Star Wars Report uh, as well. And uh, I'm on Twitter at MasterDevwa, D-E-W-I. You want to hear my thoughts on various Star Wars things? Awesome, awesome. Uh, and, uh, of course, you can find me on uh, any of the social media platforms out there that I'm on under MattRushing02. Just uh, search for that moniker and you'd find me uh, if I'm there. And, uh, of course, you can find me here on the network. Coming up very soon, Snyder Cuts to a 602 Club feed near you. Uh, John Mills and I are going to be walking through every directorial uh, event movie that Zack Snyder has done as we look towards his uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League as well as Army of the Dead. So we promised you that we were going to grow the 602 Club uh, area of uh, Trek FM, and we're going to do that starting with Snyder Cuts. So we hope you'll uh, join us for that. Of course, you can also find me doing The Orb and Literary Treks. Um, the Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And goodness, uh, we're so excited because we actually have a new episode coming out. Uh, and then, of course, the Literary Treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek. Uh, and both of those do with Chris Jones. And, of course, Bruce is going to be moonlighting over there on Literary Treks again. And then you can find me on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows. One is called Owl Post. Doing that with Drea Kaufman is every week we talk about... Harry Potter, one chapter at a time. And honestly, guys, we only have 10 episodes left of that show. 11 episodes of that show. So it's crazy. Uh, and then, of course, doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. But thank you so much for joining us. And may the Force be with you. Thank you.